You are listening to the Antler VC Cast. We are your hosts. I am Yusti Salavara and I'm the co-founder and managing partner of Antler. I am Pooja Barwani, the marketing director of Antler. In this series, we feature stories of exceptional people who are playing a key role in building and shaping the next wave of tech and the way it is integrated into all we do. We take a look at the transformation that is taking place in an increasingly global and digital world. We will talk about innovation, building and scaling startups, mistakes they made, pivots they navigated through and lots more. We want to know their story, how they did it, the challenges they faced and how they overcame them. Stay tuned. Today we have with us Nair Eyal. Nair is the best-selling author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Hooked talks about how technology companies build habit-forming products that start as vitamins and end up being painkillers. Indistractable provides you with a framework to ask yourself the triggers that distract you and then deliver the focus you need to get results. Nair writes and speaks extensively about the intersection of psychology, technology and business for people to learn about why products succeed and how to build and facilitate positive behaviors in life. He calls it behavioral design. His work appears in the Harvard Business Review, The Atlantic, TechCrunch and Psychology Today. Nir is also an active investor in tech companies. Some of his investments include Kahoot, Eventbrite, Anchor.fm and Product Hunt. He has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and Hasso Platner Institute of Design. Welcome to the Antler VC Cast. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Let's dive right in and talk about Hooked. So tell us, what is the Hook model? Sure. So the Hook model is a design pattern intended to connect the user's problem with your product with enough frequency to form a habit. And so there are these four steps that we see repeated time and time again. It's a design pattern that we see in, uh, in YouTube and Google and uh, Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack. All of these kind of world-changing companies that were so good at changing consumer habits all have embedded into the product design these four basic steps, which are a trigger, an action, a reward, and an investment. And it's through successive cycles through these hooks that our habits are shaped and our tastes are formed. It's quite interesting, like, um, this is critical stuff for, for like, almost like any consumer business, at least when it's like, you know, when there's frequency of use. You work with a lot of entrepreneurs, like, uh, how well-versed would you say founders are in this stuff? Or is there still a lot of education to do, right? Well, it's well, first of all, I think it's for consumer and enterprise. That's one thing that I think is uh, is worth noting, that it's, it's not just, I, I talk a lot about consumer web examples like Facebook and Instagram, but uh, I think it's even more important in, in the enterprise space because with, uh, you know, now that, that so many SaaS products are really, um, you know, acquired in the company uh, from the ground up. It's not sold top down anymore. You have to get people to use the product or they churn, they stop using it uh, and they stop paying for it. And so it's, it's, it's increasingly important in the enterprise side as well. And in terms of how well people know this model, I will say it's a lot, there's a lot more recognition around the, this, uh, these principles than there used to be. It used to be for quite a long time that people just thought, you know, build the best product. That's all you got to do. Just build the best product, right? Uh, build a better mousetrap and the world will beat a path to your door. And now we're realizing that that's table stakes. That, uh, you know, I lived in Silicon Valley for many years and I can tell you that the startup graveyards are full of companies that had the best product. 
It doesn't matter if you have the best product. What matters is can you change a consumer habit? Do you know how to increase engagement and retention? Because you can't win on growth anymore. You can always buy growth. And that, I think that's what we've seen you know, with, uh, with many companies. Um, you know, investors plow tons of money into the company. Quibi is the latest example, unfortunately. $2 billion, It's so topical. $2 billion invested in this company, and nobody bothered to check whether people actually wanted to use it. Right? So you can always buy growth. You can buy, you know, they spent, I don't even know what ungodly sum on ads and placements. And uh, it doesn't do very good. It doesn't do very well because you create what's called the leaky bucket, right? Users come in and they all leak out unless you can figure out how to keep them engaged. So there is more, I think there's more understanding, particularly, you know, uh, where I used to live for many years in Silicon Valley. Um, it used to be that I had to convince people that, no, 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 these companies understand what makes you click and what makes you tick better than you understand yourself, that these companies really do use consumer uh, psychology principles. For many years, I had to convince people that I don't have to convince people of that anymore. <laughs> right? if, if everybody knows that. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think it links to one of the, the bigger fallacies in the startup world, which is that product market fit equals growth, which, which is simply not the case, right? Exactly. Yeah, I, li- I like to talk about it with this uh, gem framework um, that I think it was Reid Hoffman uh, first espoused that every startup needs to be a gem. Gem stands for growth, engagement, and monetization, and those are are three necessary, but uh, ne- uh, they are necessary but not sufficient. You know, you, you you have to have all three. Now, no startup in the early stages has all three, but what I look for is having at least two of the three with a plan for the third. So, you know, it, it, it depends on the business. Some, some companies are just pure growth driven. That's what, that's really the fulcrum. Some it's engagement, some it's monetization. Uh, typically it tends to be that, that engagement is that pillar. And that's where I specialize is really around these companies that are looking for engagement. This user engagement that you talk about that, you know, needs to be long-term and loyal and trigger is, so can we go into that trigger? What is, what is a trigger that uh, works internally as well as externally for these users? Sure. So there are two types of triggers. And the goal of a habit-forming product is to no longer require those external triggers. So eventually, the, the way you know a habit has been formed is that you don't need to prompt the user with another ping or ding or spammy advertising or whatever the case might be. People are using the product on their own because they want to, not because they have to. That's where the habit is formed. Well, so then how do you do that? You have to create an association with an internal trigger. And this is probably the... the um, uh, the thing that I think product designers don't think about enough, they only think about the external triggers. They don't think about the internal triggers. And so an internal trigger is defined as an uncomfortable emotional state that we seek to escape from. So that can be boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety, any of these uncomfortable feelings that the product will satiate for me, will help me alleviate. And by the way, this is why we do everything, right? All human behavior is about a desire to escape discomfort. And so if you can be that product that is the first to mind solution that when I feel X, I do Y. If you can be that Y, that's a, a huge competitive advantage. So given that you've invested into Kahoot and they have grown tremendously this year because of everything, plus they, we, and we had the CEO in our previous episode, um, you know, how is Kahoot in a way the ideal um, of your model of trigger action reward 
you know, and, and they've gamified ed, ed tech. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful example of how we can use habits for good that, you know, I, I think one of the misperceptions of people who haven't actually read my book, but have seen the cover is like, oh, you're teaching people how to addict people and, you know, do these terrible things to them. And that's clearly not what I'm doing, right? Like the, the book is not for Facebook and the gaming companies. The book was for companies like Kahoot, right? So Johan, the CEO, called me up uh, over five years ago and, and read the book and said, hey, here's what we're, we're thinking about. Here's what I think the hook model might look like. And it was beautiful. It was just amazing. And it was for such a great cause of helping kids uh, get more engaged, get hooked to education. And so with, with, uh, with Kahoot, uh, the product is used in classroom, uh, where the, the external trigger typically comes from the teacher who will initiate, hey, we're going to have a Kahoot day. And kids love this. If you have school-age kids, you know, uh, chances are they've heard of Kahoot. They love Kahoot. Uh, the action is to play this game. Uh, the variable reward is it's like a quiz show type game. And so the variability is built into the design of the product where, you know, you have to choose is the right answer, A, B, C, or D. And the investment, I think this is really the star of the show here. The investment was that it's not the typical quiz made by the teacher. The investment is the students make the quizzes. And now there's this marketplace of all of these incredible quizzes that people have, have made, uh, mostly from other students. And the more you invest in it, you know, to make a quiz, it's amazing. The best way to learn is to teach. And that's a principle that they've utilized by investing in the service and making the quiz you know what? You're the genius, right? Because you as the student, you have to know more than the people taking the quiz to make the quiz. And so that would be a great example of the hook model there. I think you touched on kind of the the ethical side of things as well as children. I think that's a good bridge to, in a way, uh, the, the side where I personally feel like, you know, it's almost like the only area where we really need to be careful, which is with children. And, you know, I have I have three kids in in the in the relevant age so to say and they are like addicts it's like <laughs> drug addicts and it's worse than like you know you have some tools like screen time with apple and things like that but the problem for for many parents is that um you know the kids are simply so much better and more fluent at these things that they find ways to like trick you right um, I, I just wanted to ask you, it's a very personal question, but like, how do you manage? I know you have a, a, a daughter. She's what, 12? 12, 12, 12. Yeah. Like, like, uh, how do you manage her in this regard? Or is it not a problem for you? Uh, no, it definitely was a problem. Uh, so when she was, she was born in 2008 and, uh, some of her first words were iPad time, iPad time, <laughs> you know, it was like Dada, mama, iPad time. And it was, a, it was a problem. And I think that the right metaphor here is swimming pools. Uh, swimming pools are incredibly dangerous. Children drown every year uh, with swimming pools, from, from, you know, from, from drowning in swimming pools. Does that mean we're not going to teach kids how to swim? Of course not. That's ridiculous. Our, our children's future depends on them being conversant with technology. Their jobs are going to depend on them becoming conversant with technology. So we don't want to scare them and shame them into uh, you know, getting off technology. What we want to do is to work with them to help them become indistractable. And I think this is why becoming indistractable is the skill of the century. Because if you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years. It's only going to become more distracting. So I think that the world is going to bifurcate into... People who let their time and their attention and their lives be controlled by others and people who stand up and say, no, I am indistractable. I choose how I will control my attention and my time and my life. We have to teach that skill to our kids. So how do we do this? The first is by setting a good example, not to put you on the spot, but 
I hear a lot of parents yeah. <laughs> guilty. You can't hear this on the radio, yeah. or you can't see this on the radio. But he's uh, he's lifting his hands. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So don't ask my wife. Yeah. Um, so this is what I see all the time: is parents telling their kids, "Get off your phone! Stop using Fortnite!" as they're checking Facebook. Uh, we can't do that because children come born with what I call a hypocrisy detection device. They have these little detectors built into their brains that are looking for when you're being a hypocrite. And they will call you out on it. So we have to model what it's like to be indistractable ourselves. That's step one. Then what we do is we work our way through these four steps that I talk about in indistractable. First, mastering those internal triggers, making time for traction. One of the best things you can do for your kid is teach them how to schedule their time. Starting at five years old, you want to go on, uh, play a game online? No problem. When? Let's put that time in the calendar right now. Okay, because again, if you decide when you want to spend that time, there's no problem. So the time you plan to waste is not wasted time as long as you plan for it. Right. And there's not been even one study, not one that shows that three hours or less of age appropriate screen time has any deleterious effects. Zero. Okay, it's got to be age appropriate. Right. You have to make sure the content is right for the age. Three hours or less. No problems where we start seeing deleterious effects is, you know, four or five, six hours a day. But look. Four, five, six hours a day of anything tells you there's something else going on. If my daughter, you know, my daughter was into Harry Potter uh, a few years ago, and she was reading too much Harry Potter because it was taking away from other aspects of life. Was it Harry Potter's fault? No. It was that, you know, we, we didn't put those time constraints. So telling your kid, you know, when would be a good time for you? When do you want to play that time? Let's put that in the schedule is a huge step because then they're not thinking about it all day. They know, oh, I get to play Fortnite from 6 to 8 p.m. or whatever the case might be. The next step is to hack back those external triggers. So what, what the data is showing us, and that you don't hear very often, is that it's not the social media or the technology that's the problem. It's not the video games. It's what the technology is displacing, what that time is eating up. And it turns out what we're finding increasingly is that the cost is sleep. That really what's – and it's been fascinating because we have some new research just out now that's, that's looked at what's happening to kids during the pandemic. And would you believe it? Children during this pandemic, what the, what the studies are finding, and they're very preliminary, but what they're finding is that children are doing better psychologically now than they were before the pandemic. Despite the fact that they report a high percentage of them know someone who has corona or their parents have lost their jobs, terrible things are happening in the kids' lives, but on self-reported metrics of psychological well-being, they're doing better. You know why? They're sleeping they're not rushing yeah. around from one activity to yes, another. And, these poor yeah. kids, we wake them up at 5 a.m. in the morning. They go to sleep at midnight. They got mm. no time for sleep. And we know this is, I mean, the evidence is unequivocal. They need time to sleep. The, some, sometimes what they do when they don't get sleep is, you know, stay online. And so that's why we have to hack back the external triggers. Anything that beeps or boops or buzzes does not have a place in their bedroom. Not just new tech, old tech. Why does a kid need a television in their bedroom? They don't. Right, that can be in a family space. By the way, why does an adult need a television in the bedroom? I don't know that either. <laughs> right? So we can hack back the external triggers. And then the last step is to prevent distraction with pacts. And this is where we can actually use technology to help us uh, uh, fight distracting technology. So one app that I use all the time uh, that my daughter also uses is called Forest. Uh, so here, at Forest. It's a wonderful app. Uh, it's free. And here's how it works. You plug in how much time you want to do focused work for. Okay, so let's say you say 45 minutes. And then you hit this button that says plant. 
And when you hit plant, that cute little virtual tree gets planted on your screen. You put the phone down, and if you do anything with it, if you pick up the phone, the virtual tree dies. And you don't want to be a virtual tree murderer. And so, you know, this is something that a five-year-old could use. I use it every day when I do my writing time. This is making a pact. It's making a commitment with yourself. Oh, that's, I didn't want to check my phone right now. I want to stay focused on my assignment. Using this with my daughter, even though she's 12 years old, she's been using it for years. This is a life skill. This isn't just about technology. This is a life skill. But can I actually, sorry, I just like, when, when I dove into your content, I felt like I'm probably personally the, the worst example in the whole wide world of like, of some, or let's say best example of someone needing your content, right? So, you know, being a founder uh, is, is super intense, takes almost all your time. And, you know, pretty much all founders can probably benefit from, from being better at this, betting, getting healthier, being better at time management, other things. So, Maybe can you just, from like a founder's perspective, like uh, lay out the key themes of how how people can get better? You know, you have the thesis of time boxing and schedule management and so forth. So let's get really into it. Okay, the 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 more complicated but more important lesson of indistraction, probably the most important lesson, is that distraction, procrastination, using devices or whatever it might be, when we don't intend to is an emotion regulation problem. It's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. It's not, you don't have an addictive personality. You don't have a short attention span. What we haven't learned, especially as founders, and I've I've been a founder now three times, is how do we regulate discomfort? The reason we are picking up our phones when we're with our family, the reason we are turning on the news when we say we're going to work, the reason we don't exercise when we say we will is because of one thing our inability to deal with uncomfortable emotions, right? And until we stop and deal with that and learn how do we deal with discomfort, boredom, anxiety, uncertainty, it's the same internal triggers we talked about earlier, we have to recognize that time management is pain management. That none of the techniques, none of the time boxing or the uh, to-do lists or the whatever gurus, life hacks might tell you, even mine, will not work unless first and foremost, we have strategies to deal with our emotional discomfort, especially when as founders, you know, being a founder is full of discomfort. It's very stressful, right? Lots of anxiety. And so we have to, especially as founders, learn to have arrows in our quiver that we are ready to use when we feel these uncomfortable sensations. There's lots of techniques we can use to do that. So time management is a big thing, as you say, and boxing and scheduling. So sometimes you have this amazing schedule all laid out and then you see it and you're like, okay, but then you still don't do it and you tend to procrastinate. So what can one do? Uh, You said identify your emotional triggers, your internal triggers, but is there something that's really actionable that you can tell yourself at that point in time to make sure this gets done? Absolutely. So, okay. So strategy is more important than tactics. Tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing that people listening can take away are these four steps. Master the internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, and prevent distraction with packs. Those are the four big strategies. Everything else is tactics. Now, if if you follow this model and uh, first have those those tactics ready for these internal triggers, when they come up, when you realize, okay, I, I have my time box calendar, I know what I'm going to do with my time, but I'm not doing it. 
Okay, I'm not, I didn't do what I say I'm going to do. There are only three potential reasons. Either it's an external trigger, an internal trigger, or a planning problem. So the goal here is to never get, it's not that you're, you're saying I'm indistractable, I'm never going to get distracted. I made up the word, by the way. Indistractable is not a real word. I made it up. So I get to define it any way I want. Sounds like a word to me. All right, it is yes, now. I think, I think, yeah, you better so, trademark it. So I get, I get to define it. And the definition of becoming indistractable is a person who strives to do what they say they're going to do. Now, I still get distracted from time to time. So becoming indistractable doesn't mean you never get distracted. Here's what it means. It means that when I get distracted, I know what to do about it so I don't keep getting distracted. Poilo Coelho had a wonderful quote. He said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. So if something comes up, coronavirus, how can you plan for coronavirus? You can't. But if day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you keep getting distracted by the same things, okay, now it's on you. Now you have to start taking steps to say, wait a minute, I have made a decision to be distractible. Whereas an indistractable person says, you know what? Yesterday didn't go so well. I didn't do what I said I'm going to do. How can I adjust for the day ahead, take steps today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow? So the antidote to impulsiveness, the antidote to distraction is forethought, right? This is one thing that our species is gifted with that I don't think enough people appreciate, that we are the one species that can see into the future with higher fidelity than any other animal on the face of the earth, right? No other animal can predict what is going to happen the way we can. And so that's why I say the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. We can take steps today because if you wait till the last minute, if the cigarette is in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If the chocolate cake is on the fork, you're going to eat it. If you sleep next to your cell phone and it's the first thing you wake up to, you're going to look at your phone before you kiss your spouse good morning because it's too late. You already lost. They're going to get you. It has to be done in advance with forethought. That's, that's the secret. That is uh, absolutely critical. Um, something I personally struggle with. Emotional management is key. Uh, just to get even more practical, um, uh, you don't like to-do lists. I now, hate, every, hate to-do lists. <laughs> everyone, like, there's a lot of people around there, a lot of people listening who use to-do lists, yeah. probably religiously, right? Yeah, and I'm going to sacrifice why, a sacred yeah, cow yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Why, why don't you like to-do lists, and what's the best alternative? Yeah, so to clarify, uh, what I don't like specifically is running your life on a to-do list. If you keep a register of things to remember, I think that's great. I think it's a wonderful piece of advice to say, don't keep it in your brain, put it down somewhere. Where you put it, though, is the question. Most people put it on a to-do list, and most people have these mile-long things on their to-do list that they will never get to. And the problem is, and, and I, I'm guilty of this. I used to do this for years and years before I embarked on this line of research and then you know, uncovered all these studies that show how terrible this is for your personal productivity. The problem is, is that behavior change necessitates identity change. That if you reinforce an identity of someone day after day, week after week, month after month, who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. If you look at that to-do list, another day went by and I didn't do six things on my list, you are reinforcing your identity as a loser, as someone who doesn't do what they say they're going to do, someone who, did, who lies to themselves. And we don't realize that that has a huge psychological toll because the problem with to-do list is that there, there, there's no constraint. You can add and add and add and add. Whereas with a calendar, your to-do list should be your schedule. So it's not that I'm anti-to-do list. I'm anti-running your life with a to-do list. If you wake up in the morning and the first thing you look for and you say, what do I do? Let me look at my to-do list. You've already lost. Instead, you should be looking at your calendar, your schedule. Because the only way to know what is distraction is to know what is traction. 
right? You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So, so the idea here is we need to stop measuring ourselves based on how many boxes we checked off. And instead, the one metric we need to assess ourselves by is did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? And it's not about finishing. This is a big mind shift for people. It's not about finishing because we have what we call a planning fallacy that we know that people are terrible at predicting how long something will take them to do. On average, tasks take us three times longer than we expect. That's the average. We're terrible at it. So we need to stop assessing ourselves based on, well, did I finish? Instead, we need to assess ourselves based on, did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? And the kicker is, the people who do that, the people who measure themselves just based on that, finish more than the to-do list people. I think that's really powerful. I, I mean, for me personally, um, I'm not the most structured person. For me, to-do lists have been a way to structure my thoughts. And then at some point later, I just, you know, go back and look at it. Did I do this? But even if I didn't, it's, it's not a problem. It's a, but I think a big issue here is... Uh, reactiveness and i love love the notion of kind of grabbing control like uh, you know my calendar constantly gets filled with meetings someone else puts it in um i think it was paul graham who kind of talked about how email sucks that it's basically allowing other people to put to-do lists on your on your sorry to do's on your uh, agenda right so like I love the notion of grabbing control of your life in some sense, right? And, and planning ahead. And you're joining good company. I, I used to, you know, in the startup community, I would, I would preach the research here uh, that's been around for decades around this technique. Uh, I didn't invent it. I mean, there's thousands of studies that show how, how much better this, uh, this technique of scheduling versus to-do listing is. And people would always say, yeah, but what about Mark Andreessen? You know, Mark Andreessen famously said that, uh, you know, he doesn't plan anything. He doesn't take, he doesn't even put meetings on his schedule. And I cannot tell you how happy I am that just uh, what is like two months ago, he had an article in the observer that literally, I think he said verbatim, I have done a complete 180. And right, he even right, put right. a screenshot in of his new <laughs> calendar and it's scheduled down to the minute. Right, 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 <laughs> so right, even right. he does time boxing now. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And and I, I kind of time box a bit, but it's kind of defined. I feel like it's defined by other people. It's like meetings with folks and all that. Not enough like, what am I going to do? And by the way, you know, I'm not anti-working all day. If you want to, you know, it's not for me or anybody else to tell you how to spend your time. That's not my goal. Whatever are your, like, you know, if you want to be an investment banker or you want to be a startup founder or whatever, and you want to spend your day doing whatever it is you want to do, that's, that's great. You know, if you want to play video games all day, no problem. I'm not going to tell you not to. What I want to do is to help people define for themselves how they want to spend their time. So the prioritizing and that's where... The values come in. in exactly. Terms of That's where values yeah, come yeah. in. Exactly. How do you, by the way, see this? So, sorry, Pooja. How, how do you see this linking to personality types? I mean, people do have different tendencies. And do you think this is universal and something that everyone can adopt? Or will there be some people who kind of never can adjust to it because it's not really their personality I don't want to start talking about personality types. I know that's, you know, sometimes, I mean, a bit pseudoscientific often, but... It does, it reminds me a little bit of, um, uh, you know, it's almost like with, with uh, exercise, that uh, you get folks who uh, talk about, okay, are you using the right protein? Is it whey powder? Are you using creatine? What about the mushrooms? And what about this and that? And they have like a million things that uh, they think has an effect. And some of it, does have an effect, 
but hey, are, are you actually exercising? Like, do you, do, you, do you go to the gym? Do you walk around? Do you run? Do you do something physical? No, but I know the best protein. And so, and this is, this is the same way. Like, I'm sure that there are various effects of personality type, but the amount of weight that people give those techniques rather than just doing what I tell them to do is, is disproportionate, right? Does it have an effect? Sure. I'm sure that if you have certain personality traits, it might, might affect you. It's infinitesimal compared to, did you schedule your day? <laughs> did you turn off it's notifications? Get the basics right. <laughs> exactly. The then right. we can talk about yeah. the specific differences. Yeah. So, so that's, I, I'm, in a way, when you, because I read your book and this whole values thing really got to me, right? Because for me, I do plan, but there are times I'll block and this is, uh, you know, reading time advocates as well. So, so if you do that and at times you still get drawn out of it and you're like, I just don't feel like doing this. Can, um, so just the monotony, right? Of sitting and reading and putting your kid to bed every day. And then you, I would rather just do nothing and look, and that's what your emotional trigger, like you said. So what is it? Boredom or whatever. But what's wrong with that? So I've started scheduling like really doing nothing <laughs> or mm. meditation time. Awesome. 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 Yeah, that's awesome. Attraction. awesome. See, this is such a revelation because so much of what you said right there is the, the embodiment of this message. And you, know, you said, I don't feel like it. I don't want to, which is totally fine. There's no problem with it. So what you did was you learn, you said, look, I have this internal trigger, right? It's not big tech controlling me. It's not Facebook. It's, it's I don't want to, you know, I don't feel like it. And you said, I'm going to modify my schedule so that tomorrow I will define for myself what I want to do. And so if I know, hey, you know what? After dinner, I just need some time to meditate. I need some time to read a book. I need some time to just sit for 15, 20, 30 minutes. Awesome. And now you've put that in your schedule. Doing anything else, doing something productive would be now the distraction. Exactly. Because there. that's not that's, what you plan to do. Yeah. So, so that to me, I did it, but as someone who looked at my calendar was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you schedule time to do nothing? Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting in the balcony and I'm watching my tree. And <laughs> Beautiful. I mean, that's really it. It's about these values, you know, starting with you. you are, I, I talk about these three life domains. Starting with you, you know, what do you require uh, for proper maintenance? You know, you're the most important asset in your life. What's important to you? And it's not up to me or anybody else to tell you how you should spend your time. But if, you know, one of your values is your physical health, you know, like, oh, you know, taking care of your body is very important. Health is above everything. Well, do you invest in that? You know, do, do you have a bedtime? Do you have time to go and walk? Do you, whatever it is, video games, if that's good, if that's what is important to you, great. As long as you have that time on your, on your schedule. So bravo, you, you followed it to a T. I love it. <laughs> okay, great. So I want to ask you, you know, your, um, an active investor, as we mentioned uh, earlier, that you've invested in all these companies. And what do you look for in if you term a successful investment? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of it comes back to that GEM framework. That's kind of, you know, the, the big picture. And then, of course, you know, the standard stuff around, you know, large TAM and things like that. But my specific investment thesis, I, you know, I, I, I pass on a lot of companies that I'm sure are fantastic, but they're just not in my wheelhouse because I don't feel like I can offer uh, value. I don't, I don't think I have a specific you know, unique opinion to offer or, or I can be helpful. So I'll pass on those companies if I just don't, you know, feel like it's in my wheelhouse. What I look for specifically is companies where uh, that, that second pillar of engagement, right? If it's growth, engagement, monetization, that pillar of engagement, if I see a company that, that really the fulcrum, the, the, the leverage is provided through a product that can, that can really nail engagement, that's what I look for. And that can actually evolve, right? Because this year, as has, it has shown us, a lot of uh, industries have thrived, some have died. Um, how do you then, you know, um, 
determined that? And has, has that assessment changed for you this year? So this year has been awesome from an investment perspective. I mean, I, I, the last couple of years, I think I made one investment per year. This year I've made four. Uh, this is an awesome year in terms of, as, as was, by the way, uh, 2008 during the last downturn, same story. Like that's when all these cool companies come in. You know, the, whenever there are these, these changes in the world, that's when the habit deck gets reshuffled, right? So for example, with homeschooling, uh, what was it? The UN, I think I, I might be misquoting this, but they said a billion children will be home, will try homeschooling for the first time. A billion children. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like that, you know, my daughter has been homeschooled for the past six years and it's a tiny, you know, it's in the, it was in the small millions of people who ever homeschooled. And, and if you get that large of a number of children who will try homeschooling, if a tiny fraction of that market decides to stick with it, that's a huge new market. And, uh, and so I've, I've been making investments in that space uh, specifically around um, how can we use habits and technology to, to build these new behaviors, these new healthy habits. That's great. Never waste a good crisis, right? You work with these uh, companies you invest in, like um, hands-on, like teach them your methodology and, and do like workshops or? Sure. Yeah. So I'm there as much as they need me. Uh, the good news is uh, that typically I'm more involved upfront. Uh, and then I don't hear from them for a long time yeah, <laughs> because right, right, right. they kind of, you know, once they, they you know the, the message, you know. yeah, they read the book, you know, 80% of what I know is already in the book and then I'll, I'll help them along the way. Uh, I'm always available, but typically they don't really need me all that much. Yeah, no, but that's awesome. So I think a lot of people, uh, listening would probably like really, really benefit from, from, uh, you know, getting hands-on with your thesis. So I think, um, yeah, keep near in mind when you're looking at uh, potential investors. Thank you. Should we move on to rapid fire? You can do that, yes. Tell us, Nir, what is your biggest inspiration? My inspiration is uh, curiosity. Uh, there's a, a great quote, and I don't remember who said it, but it goes something like, um, the cure for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity. And um, whenever I'm stuck... Uh, with my writing or professionally, I always go back to that. Like if I can find that spark of curiosity, what do I want to know? What's the puzzle? What's the mystery that hasn't been answered? That's very inspiring. I feel like the next question just gets a bit philosophical, but what's your biggest distraction? <laughs> I had to <laughs> I guess, that. I guess it's like, what's, what's the most typical thing that uh, leads you to like kill the tree? For me, what I've really had to be very on guard around is the news. Uh, that is tricky because... Um, the news industry doesn't, doesn't care if you know enough, right? They don't care if you are informed enough. They want you to keep clicking, to keep viewing, to keep watching that like that is their business model. Uh, and for me, you know, especially when the world is changing so dramatically all the time, I mean, especially right now, it's very tempting uh, when I'm in the middle of writing, let me just go research that one thing. Let me just go look at that article. And, oh, there's a, a link here. Let me just go read that article. Uh, and then you just go down this content vortex for the next 30 minutes. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. And so, uh, thankfully, I mean, that, that I have a whole section in the book on what to do about that. Uh, but I have to be very, very vigilant. I mean, I have rules. That, for example, I never read content on my browser. I use an app called uh, Pocket which I love, that every time I see an article I, I want to read, I just send it straight to Pocket, and I have a rule. I never read it on the browser because, you know, even if you go to reputable publications, you go to BBC or New York Times, their business model is also to keep you on there as much as possible. And so they're going to show you, you know, headlines and clickbait to keep you clicking. Uh, whereas when you send it to Pocket, it does a few things. One, I, I'm don't, I don't spend that time on the browser. 
Two, it scrubs out all the ads. And three, it reads you the content. And I have a rule that I can let my reward, this is called temptation bundling. Uh, it's my reward for exercising, so going on a walk or going to the gym, is that I get to listen to those articles later. So it becomes the reward to do something I don't really feel like doing, exercising, that becomes the reward now is that I get to listen to these articles. I feel like maybe Pocket is the answer for this. Um, your favorite centering or focus method? My favorite focusing method you know, it's, it's about using these four techniques, I would say. It's, you know, mastering the internal triggers, making time for traction, hacking back the external triggers, and preventing distraction with packs. It's really about using them together. And I don't want people to think that they have to do everything all at once, right? You don't have to implement everything in the book. But do something in each of these four domains, in the, each of these four strategies. I think, you know, by understanding that and then reflecting on that to say, uh, for, for example, here's, a, here's a, a, something I do every day. Uh, I use a product called Focusmate. And I, I loved the app. It's a website. I love it so much. I actually started, uh, I invested in the company. Uh, so here's how Focusmate worked. Do you remember Chat Roulette? Remember Chat Roulette? So it would like connect you with a random person, but it was like lots of nasty stuff on there. <laughs> like that's why people don't use it. So it's like that, but professional. And so the benefit of it is, you know, I will schedule, okay, I need my writing time. That's when I need to make sure, you know, I'm very tempted when I'm writing. Uh, it's very potentially distracting. Writing is not a habit. It's not something you can do with little or no conscious thought. Writing requires a lot of mental effort if you want to write well. Um, and so that means I am dying to just Google something real quick, or let me just research this, or let me just go online and, you know, do anything but the actual writing because it's so hard. Whereas when you use Focusmate, you log in, you say, okay, I need to start writing at 9 a.m., they will connect you with another person somewhere in the world who also wants focused time and just, and you'll see them on your screen and just, ha and you say, okay, my name is Nir. I'm working on this. My name is such and such. I'm working on that. It takes 30 seconds. Go. And for the next 50 minutes, you both just work. But having that other person who you see working and that you know that you're on their screen in the corner as well is, is what we call a pact. It's a pre-commitment. And it's incredibly effective. <laughs> so it's accountability as it's well. Accountab it's accountability. Most of the best part of it is getting started. So what I have a problem with, and this goes back to what you asked earlier, what distracts me, is, okay, I'll just start in five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. When I have an accountability buddy, right, with Focusmate, it costs $5 a month. The service is crazy cheap. Now I know if I don't show up, I'm going to get a bad review and I'm going to let this other person down. So it's a wonderful way to say, I said I was going to start at 9 a.m. This person's waiting for me. I will start at 9 a.m. <laughs> it's a very effective tool. So you get a bad review for like, this dude didn't work, right? Or yeah. he didn't show up. Right. They leave you a bad review, kind of like uh, you know, an Uber review or something. But mostly it's that you just feel bad that this person's going to show up and have nobody to work with because it's just one-on-one. -on -one. Um, okay. Do you have a motto in life? I have a lot of mottos in life. Um, one that I've been chewing on a lot lately, lately is uh, consistency over intensity. And I think a lot of things in life, we think, uh, you know, I'm going to set a New Year's resolution and I'm going to exercise every day. And, you know, most people, two or three weeks later, they've forgotten about their resolution or, you know, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And then, you know, did you stick with it for more than a month? Probably not, right? Uh, the way we affect change in our lives and in the world is consistency, not intensity. Inten I'm, not, I'm not saying never intensity. Intensity is, is a good thing. That's why it's consistency over intensity. There's a time for intensity. But consistency is much more important. An investment you wish you had made. Why do we have to talk about this? <laughs> yeah. we, can, we can wrap it up. No, no, it's no, nothing no. like anti-portfolio. Right. Everyone has an anti-portfolio. I have had so many anti-portfolios, let me tell you. So, okay, I'll give you a quick story. It's killing me to tell you this. But um, several years ago, I was sitting in a cafe in Palo Alto, uh, the Blue Bottle Coffee Shop on California Avenue. 
And I was sitting there just, you know, writing, minding my own business. And this guy comes up to me and says, hey, you're, you're near. I read your blog. Uh, I just moved here and I'm starting this company. Uh, it's called Fat Cat. And I'd love to tell you about it because we're using your hook model. And I said, okay, I'm, I can't right now because I'm writing, but you know, let's, let's find a time. So he emails me and I said, okay, so we get together and he does like, you know, we, we sit down together next time and he does like a full song and dance presentation and it's amazing. I'm so impressed. This is incredible. And I'm, you know, this close to investing. And I said, you know what? This is an area I don't know a ton about. Let me call my good friend who works at a big fancy VC firm. I'm not going to say who it is and what fund they work for. But let me tell you, the fund is a billion-dollar fund. It's a very well-known firm. And I say, you know, can you – and this is a classmate of mine from Stanford, and he was top of his class. Uh, and I said, you know, you, you, you're, you're a smart guy. Can you come see this pitch and tell me if I'm crazy? Because I think this is going to be big. He comes in, we, uh, the, the, the founder does the same exact presentation, and it's, by the way, the company was called Fat Cat, and their logo was this gaudy, like, Cheshire cat with a big cigar and a top hat, like, really, like, cheesy-looking logo. And, um, and then after the meeting, uh, we walk out, and I talk to my friend, and I say, you know, what do you think? Isn't it amazing? Don't you think this is going to be great? And he says, Nier, you got to avoid this company like the plague. They don't get it. Like, this is never going to work in 100 years. Just, you know, leave now. Don't, you know, save your money. A few months later, they changed the name of the company to Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> and I took his advice. And I, unfortunately. You win uh, some, you lose some. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But hey, you can blame your friend. Yes, exactly. Oh, I do. Every time I see him, I slap him across the head. <laughs> well, Nir, thank you so much for joining us. That My was pleasure. so great. And we have so much to take away from today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You have been listening to the Antler VC cast with UC Salavera and me, Pooja Parwani. To know more about Antler, our portfolio companies, and our philosophy, visit us at www.antler.co or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook at Antler Global. Thank you for listening. <laughs>